Commuters prepare for a SkyTrain shutdown. I'll have to drive into Metro Town and fight the traffic. Is there hope for a last-second labor deal? Fed up with problems at Oppenheimer Park. We need more parks in this area, and now the one big park we had is being taken away. Why some say it's time we looked at the San Diego solution. And the woman who ran a rogue hotel. No one bought in here to have a flop house. How the Strata is about to have the last laugh. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. More than 100,000 SkyTrain commuters are making alternate plans tonight ahead of a looming three-day shutdown. A full-scale strike involving the Expo and Millennium Lines could start at 5 a.m. tomorrow if the union representing SkyTrain workers and their employer can't come to a deal. Grace Key is live in Vancouver with the very latest on the negotiations. Grace, the good news is the two sides are still talking at this hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're just outside the Labor Relations Board in downtown Vancouver, where they have been talking since about 11 o'clock this morning. So that is certainly good news. Now, since the union did vote for job action, official mediation ended, but a mediator is still here assisting with talks. The union has not been making any comments today, but TransLink CEO Devin, Kevin Desmond uh, did talk about what passengers can expect tomorrow, saying operational constraints uh, because of operational constraints, Coast Mountain Bus Service will operate as any other day. There's also no capability to add more trains to West Coast Express, and obviously more pressure is expected on Canada Line and on the buses. 15,000 more cars are expected on the road, and this is once again expected to affect ridership numbers. Ridership is already down since um, um, the uniform uh, job action. Um, so we've seen some softening of our, of our ridership, and even uh, last week, even after the bus uh, strike was averted, uh, we've seen less ridership than we would expect, and that means less fare box revenue. So it is important to try to get settled. I think, you know, our customers, the traveling public, if they perceive, just like I'm doing this press conference, that service may not be operating normally, uh, is not as consistent uh, or as reliable as they would expect, people might choose options. I'm hoping we can get all of this settled and we can get back to operating really good service each and every day and get those people back that may have stayed away for a little while. So last night, talks did end at about 1 o'clock in the morning. You may remember with the bus drivers that really went down to the wire, and they did come up with a tentative agreement at 12.30 in the morning. So we, of course, are going to be keeping a very close eye on the situation to see how long these talks are going to be lasting and if they come up with an agreement today. All right, thanks for that, Grace Key, reporting live for us tonight. Okay, now we're going to bring in Keith Baldry for more on this. Keith, the government didn't have to step in for the last one. As Grace Mm -hmm. mentioned, they got a deal. The bus drivers got a deal before that happened. But uh, if the SkyTrain workers follow through here, what are the chances the government would step in this time? Yeah, don't look over here for relief, Chris, because unlike the bus strike, you go back a couple weeks ago, the legislature was still in session on the eve of the potential uh, bus strike uh, service-wide, which would have been a tremendous impact. And the House was in a position to either extend the sitting or to be recalled with relative ease. That's not the case right now. Folks, everybody's gone from here. There's only a few reporters left and a handful of politicians. Literally, cabinet ministers are overseas. George Heyman, the environment minister I saw on Twitter today, he's in Madrid at a climate change conference. It's not easy to recall the legislature. 
legislature. The labor minister doesn't have an ability on his own to end a strike. He needs legislation were that to happen. And that simply doesn't seem to be the case. So if there's going to be a strike tomorrow, I think it's going to extend for the three days without any government involvement. But because of that, Chris, I think the pressure's on both sides, unlike last time, that they've got to settle this thing because the House is not in a position to bail them out, which is why I think, I'm hoping, no inside knowledge here, mm -hmm. but I'm betting there's going to be a deal sometime tonight. All right. Yeah, could go down to the wire again for sure. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Keith. Keith Baldry right. in Victoria. Now, a surprising development in the trial for the man accused of murdering 13-year-old Letitia Reimer at an Abbotsford High School. Gabriel Klein's lawyer had previously indicated that Klein planned to testify. But today, on what was expected to be his first day on the stand, Klein's defense team announced it would not call any evidence. Klein stabbed Letitia Reimer and a friend at the school in November of 2016, but his lawyer plans to argue Klein should be should not be held criminally responsible because of a mental disorder. Klein has been diagnosed with schizophrenia since the incident. Closing arguments have now been scheduled to begin December 16th. A report from the Independent Investigations Office has cleared police of wrongdoing in the death of a Langley teenager. 14-year-old Carson Cremeni died in August of a suspected drug overdose in an incident that was filmed and shared on social media. The video shows Cremeni in obvious distress in the Walnut Grove Skate Park as a group of older youth look on and laugh at him. Cremeni was later found barely breathing. He was rushed to hospital where he died. The IIO's report concludes the officers were not negligent in their duties, saying they spent 20 minutes at the skate park but did not find Cremeni because he and the group of young people he was with had moved a considerable distance away. I never believed the, the police were to blame for his death. Um, the police aren't the ones that gave him the drugs. The police aren't the ones that, you know, filmed him and put him on Snapchat. Um, the police aren't the ones that laughed at him while he was in severe, severe danger. While he was looking like he was, you know, slipping away. Um, they, sh they came, they looked for him. The police assure us that they're doing everything they can to make sure charges will be pressed and um, they're preparing a package for the Crown Council. We definitely need more people that were there and actually more people that were actually there, seen it with their own eyes to come forward. Renewed calls tonight for the city of Vancouver to consider setting up a sanctioned tent city for homeless campers who are currently occupying Oppenheimer Park. Paul Johnson has more on what it would entail and the tricky part about the plan. A stack of propane tanks at the Oppenheimer Park homeless encampment. The use of dangerous and unconventional ways to stay warm here has more people weighing in on ways to move people to safer shelter. I think we need to act faster to get people into decent housing. Charles Gauthier runs the Downtown Vancouver Business well, Improvement happened, Association. Uh, and he's impressed by what he's seen happen in San Diego where a hepatitis outbreak among homeless people there prompted the city to construct heavy-duty tent-style accommodation to improve safety and hygiene. Why can't we look at these other kinds of solutions that other cities have done, like San Diego, where it's a hard shell, tent structure that can get erected pretty quickly, bunk bed style approaches with toilets and showers. Among the things the city said they've recently found here are barbecues and propane tanks that people were using to try to keep warm. And get this, they say they found evidence that somebody had recently tried to dig into an underground power line to try to tap into that to run an electric heater. 
Already this fall, two fires have happened in the park. Luckily, no one was injured. But the situation has stakeholders questioning the position of the Vancouver Park Board to allow the encampment to stay. It's time to clear out the park. Trisha Barker is one of two park board commissioners who wants Oppenheimer campers moved to safer housing, whether they want to be moved or not. I don't want to have us have a death down here that focuses all the attention here and makes us do something. I want to do something before that happens. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. Well, Global News was not able to reach the other park board commissioners or the city for comment on the tent proposal. The province is unveiling plans today for a second hospital in Surrey. I'm pleased to announce that the Governor of British Columbia has secured land and approved the concept plan, and we are now going to be building a brand new hospital here in Surrey. Premier Horgan and Health Minister Adrian Dix making the announcement near the location of the new hospital planned in Cloverdale. The state-of-the-art facility will be built beside the Kwantlen Polytechnic University campus. The business plan phase of the project will now get underway to finalize the scope and the budget for the hospital. Surrey is the second largest city in B.C. and is on track to surpass Vancouver by 2041. Family of a longtime employee with Canadian Pacific Railway who died recently in a workplace tragedy is raising questions tonight. The 56-year-old father had more than three decades of experience and even trained others in safety protocol. As Jill Bennett reports, his brother-in-law is baffled by how this could have happened. Great guy, great uh, family man, hardworking guy. 56-year-old Kirk McLean had more than 30 years' experience working with the railway. The locomotive engineer died December 3rd after returning to the Port Coquitlam rail yard from North Bend, B.C. He was hit by a work train moving cars as he walked across the tracks. He's not the kind of guy who's going to step outside of procedures and it's going to end up in his in this kind of an accident. <clears throat> so then what did happen? You know, uh, is there something about the environment there that's maybe not as safe as it could be? Sirwat says his brother-in-law trained other engineers in safety protocol, which makes it even more difficult to understand how this happened. For us to imagine that it happened to him is mind-boggling and just... It's a non-starter, really. We can't believe it. The Teamsters Union is offering the family condolences and in a statement raising the question of safety, saying the rail industry is in crisis. We have lost 10 of our sisters and brothers over the past 24 months. It's 10 too many. Makes us worry about the safety of people working there. Obviously, uh, no one would ever want to see another family have to go through this. Uh, it's, it's quite horrible. McLean called his wife to say he was on his way home before the accident, and the family has seen surveillance images that show it was dark in the rail yard when McLean was hit. They're hoping more investigation will help answer their questions. Jill Bennett, Global News. New Zealand's White Island volcano explodes in a shower of hot ash and steam. The warning signs that were ignored likely costing lives later on the news hour. And a home security camera captures a terrifying break-in attempt. How it all ended coming up. 
Right now, though, a new development tonight in an ongoing saga involving a now infamous North Vancouver woman who ran an illegal hostel out of her townhouse. Today, a judge ordered Emily Yu to sell her unit to pay for an outstanding judgment against her. Aaron MacArthur has reaction and what happens next. The owner of this North Vancouver townhouse is running out of options and time. Emily Yu ordered to pay her strata more than $50,000 plus 90 more to the provincial government by the end of the month or her assets will be sold. Well, today was uh, a reckoning day for Miss Yu. Yu had been running the illegal hostel in her home, often with dozens of people sleeping anywhere there was room. The strata and the city for years tried to shut her down. Health violations, strata violations, safety violations all piled up and nothing worked. Finally, a court decision has put the illegal landlord out of business. The court, I think after listening her to her today, decided that time was up for her and we needed to move on with the process. So the court has ordered the sale of her strata lot so that my client can recover the judgment that's owing to it. For a strata to take an owner to court is rare. It is costly and time consuming. But fines around illegal short-term rentals can add up quick. $1,000 a day. But we do from time to time get these cases where the uh, amount of the fines are very large, the owner has no way of paying it from their own funds, and the only way to get it paid is to sell the property. Emily Yu was offered a chance to respond to the judgment. She declined. Last month, she was adamant she had done nothing wrong. I don't want to talk about that case right now because I just want to talk about Global TV help my neighbor and help Strata Corporation to produce false videos. You said that you're going to call cop on me every day. How come no cop coming? Emily Yu can keep her house, but only if she finds another way to pay back the money the court says she now owes. Finish? Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Lower mainland homeowners will see the soft real estate market reflected in their assessments next year. BC Assessment previewed uh, 2020 home values today. The values of single-family homes could fall by 5 to 15% next year, depending on location. And condos and townhouses in the region could see a drop of up to 15%. BC Assessment values are calculated based on assessments taken July 1st every year and used to determine property taxes. The province will finalize and release assessments January 2nd. A scary wake-up call for a Prince George family over the weekend. A man at their front door trying to break in. A quick review of the surveillance video shows his first attempt with his shoulder. Then he tried by kicking the door and eventually he grabbed the nearby snow shovel. The man ran off when the homeowner flashed the porch lights. RCMP is unable to confirm an arrest. However, they did locate an individual matching the description a short time later. Well, you might be surprised to know that in the cutting-edge field of artificial intelligence, BC is quickly becoming a world leader. The top AI researchers and entrepreneurs are in town now to discuss and shape the future, including how our own Canadian politeness is holding us back. Linda Aylesworth reports. Artificial intelligence, or AI, do you know what it is? Most people in BC have no idea what AI is. When they think about AI, they think about Terminators or they think about various robots. But in spite of our collective lack of knowledge, BC is an AI hotspot. The reality is that we are tremendous leaders in artificial intelligence. We're up there with Israel, with China, with America, with Germany. And yet... 
the fact of the matter is, is we've got great talent here, but we do a very poor job of marketing it. We're kind of shy in that way. In an effort to up BC's profile, Vancouver's hosting the world this week at the most prestigious AI conference of all, NeurIPS. Over 10,000 people. The, it's the Super Bowl of AI. Uh, Elon Musk, you know, comes to these things. And just across the street, another AI conference. Smaller, but hugely important. One of the uh, objectives of Crossover AI is to up-level the awareness of the AI uh, industry here in British Columbia. Showing off their technology here, BC companies like Minerva Intelligence. The goal of our work is to basically replicate the knowledge of a human being and process that information on a far greater scale than a human could ever imagine to do so. Minerva creates maps that highlight areas susceptible to landslides based on things like precipitation, soil and rock type. And if that slope fails, this is the run out. Our goal is not just to predict where landslides could happen, but also to give people better information so that they can avoid doing things where landslides could happen. There are 175 BC companies that specialize in AI. With any luck, it won't be our little secret much longer. If BC wants a chance at maintaining a lifestyle that we've all grown accustomed to, we need to be able to move along with the adoption of AI because the rest of the world is, and we're falling behind. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Well, just as the holiday season kicks into high gear, the Surrey-Langley branch of Operation Red Nose is at risk of shutting down for the season. Organizers say they are desperate for volunteers and struggling to keep up with call volume. The service involves a team. One volunteer drives, a second navigates, and a third volunteer follows in an escort vehicle to pick everyone up. The volunteer service is facilitated by Langley Minor Hockey Association. The entire campaign is run on volunteers. Um, from, the, from the planning committee to getting it up and running, our dispatch, everything is run on volunteers. Um, on an average weekend, we would need close 45 to 60 volunteers. Uh, you can go to the Operation Red Nose website uh, and then you can click to the community that you're in. It's, it's not just in Langley, it's operating all over the Lower Mainland. Uh, we definitely have a need for volunteers and I know that the other host associations also have a need. You can also go to the Langley Minor Hockey website and we've got all of the information there on how you can sign up to be a volunteer. Uh, let's hope some folks step up. All right, if you're looking for some holiday fun, we've got it. Yeah, meteorologist Christy Gordon is down at the Vancouver Christmas Market tonight with a look around. Christy? Thanks so much, Chris. Sophia. Yeah, so 10 years running the Vancouver Christmas Market. Very successful. We're here at Jackpool Plaza, and I'm with Denise Wagner. She is the president of the uh, Christmas Market. All sorts of neat items that you can purchase down here. Sorry, you couldn't <laughs> you couldn't hear me because I was holding it up. But all sorts of neat items. Denise, tell everyone about what uh, kind of vendors there are here. Yeah, we actually have the biggest biggest event that we ever had before. Celebrating our 10 year, we wanted to make sure to be bigger than we ever were. We have 80 vendors in total this year, 20 new, uh, including sustainable products, eco-friendly products, but many more unique items for from ornaments to nutcrackers, uh, nesting dolls, slides, all sorts of different items. And food as well. Food, yes. 24 food vendors and beverage vendors, so you can't miss the glue vine, for example. Uh, we've got exciting new food vendors as well. Uh, Langosh is one of them. Poffages, which is Dutch mini pancakes. 
all sorts of new things to discover this year. There really is fun down here with so much to explore, uh, as well as there's a fun carousel. Here's one of the sustainable products, these beautiful little lunch bags. Uh, so you can get tickets at VancouverChristmasMarket.com. It's open every uh, day, right through until Christmas Eve, 11.30 till 9.30, but it closes at 6 on Christmas Eve. Thank you so much, Thank Denise. You. Okay, guys, back to you. I've got some Christmas presents coming back, coming for you when I come back. For oh. us? It better be a pork hawk yes. is all I'm saying. <laughs> 24 food and vendors. Some glue <laughs> and some glue vine. It'd be great. Tourists capture the deadly eruption of a volcano on White Island in New Zealand just minutes after leaving the area. A webcam captured this picture of tourists near the volcano's crater. This is what it looked like minutes later. At least five are dead, eight still missing and presumed dead, and more than 30 are injured, some critically. The tragedy raises questions about why tourists were taken on tours of an area that many scientists wouldn't even visit because of the danger. Two explosions, a huge tower of ash and steam, shooting up 12,000 feet. The eruption captured by anxious tourists as their boat pulled away from the island. We look back and we just saw this plume of smoke coming up from the volcano. American Michael Shade and his family had just finished their tour. It was hard to stop crying long enough to take the photo and then you take the photo and then start thinking about it and start crying again. Rescuers are struggling to reach the island, now smothered in two feet of searing ash. Reconnaissance flights confirm there are no signs of life. At least five people are dead, eight are missing. At least two Americans are among the injured, Matthew Ryan Yuri and his wife Lauren. There were two groups on the island, those who were able to be evacuated and those who were close to the eruption. Just one minute before the eruption, a camera captured this stunning image, appearing to show a group of people, just tiny specks, near the rim of the crater. Skydiving instructor Tristan Webb was in the air when the island exploded. Within around about five, five seconds of exiting the aircraft, you could see the plume of smoke was just beginning to almost envelop the island. It was very rapid. White Island, also known as Wakari, is privately owned, about 30 miles off the northeast coast here. It is also New Zealand's most active volcano, and the alert level had been raised. Video taken Friday shows it was already spewing gas. The agency that manages the alert system had warned days ago the volcano was restless. Now questions about why tourists were allowed to go there. Tonight, the island is so unstable, rescue teams can't get near it, and there is the risk of another eruption. And how about this nighttime video of Italy's Mount Etna also erupting, although thankfully there's no risk to the public. Etna's frequent eruptions rarely cause damage or put the local population at risk. Its last major eruption was in 1992. More fireworks in Washington, D.C. today as the House Judiciary Committee pushed ahead with its impeachment of Donald Trump. It's not appropriate to have a witness have a point be a questioner. President Trump's actions are impeachable offenses. They threaten our rule of law. There is simply no clear evidence that President Trump acted with malicious intent. Democrats saying Trump's push to have Ukraine investigate rival Joe Biden while withholding U.S. military aid benefited himself and Russia. Republicans are defending the president, saying he did nothing wrong. 
A California church is stirring up some controversy with its unusual nativity scene. Claremont United Methodist Church is depicting Jesus, Mary and Joseph as a family separated at the U.S. border inside three chain link cells topped with razor wire. The church describes them as the most well-known refugee family in the world and says the display represents what happens to families seeking asylum at the U.S. border. The American government ended the practice of separating families last year. Finland is about to have the world's youngest prime minister. Country's ruling party has voted in favor of 34-year-old Transport Minister Sanna Marin taking over the government's top post. That comes after the party's former leader stepped down amid political turmoil caused by a postal worker strike. Marin will be the world's youngest sitting prime minister ahead of New Zealand's Jacinda Ardern, who is 39. Actor Michael Douglas has two reasons to celebrate tonight. The actor received a Golden Globe nomination for his Netflix series, The Comiskey Method, on the same day as his famous father's 103rd birthday. Douglas posting two pictures of him and his father, Kirk, thanking the Hollywood Foreign Press Association and wishing his father a happy birthday. In Health Matters tonight, a new program on Vancouver Island is aimed at giving police better tools to deal with the emotional trauma that often comes with their job. As Global's Brad McLeod reports, the Saanich Police Force is the first in B.C. to implement a coordinated response. The trauma formula, forge and better. I'm so excited that this year, this is our training. Lori Timpson is taking part in the trauma resiliency training being offered to all Saanich police officers. A first of its kind for a municipal police force in BC. And these first responders are often exposed to extremely traumatic situations at their work. Dr. Black uh, said it perfectly when he said, you know, in our community, um, their worst day is our every day. Dr. Tim Black is a psychologist at UVic. He co-created the program with a clinical counselor. Just trying to bust some myths about trauma. Key to the course, recognizing what being traumatized can look like. They, they feel like they're going crazy. They feel like maybe something must be wrong with them. Chief Constable Scott Green says it's a far cry from when he started policing 32 years ago. That mentality where just work through it, get over it, move on, do your job. Uh, and we've probably really done ourselves a disservice as police. The training is in association with Wounded Warriors Canada. We get Sarge as my service dog. Um, we have eight core programs with Wounded Warriors Canada. It's an organization which helps ill members of the armed forces and first responders find the help they need. Like placing this compassion pup with his owner, a military veteran. Also attending classes, some firefighters and auxiliary officers at Saanich Police. The idea being more people educated about trauma, the larger the safety net. We're going to be able to recognize it in ourselves and each other and to those uh, our community members who rely on us to uh, keep, keep them safe. Brad McLeod, Global News, Saanich. An avalanche roars down a mountainside this morning towards Highway 1 between Revelstoke and Golden. Thankfully, this one was triggered deliberately. Part of the BC Avalanche Control Team's work, this stretch of the Trans-Canada is often closed for avalanche prevention. But, of course, they aren't always planned. And that takes us 
To our next story, a close call for a Calgary man in the mountains over the weekend. He was out for a run with his family when an avalanche hit. Pretty soon he was running, running for his life, recording it all on his phone. Global's Gil Tucker reports. So you can see it coming down. Avalanche. Uh, you see the, 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 the cloud moving towards me, and so that's when I started to run. <laughs> Brian Howard out for a family run late Friday afternoon at Lake wow. Louise. A bit ahead of his wife and his son Jacob on the popular Lakeshore Trail, just a few hundred meters from the Chateau Lake Louise when the avalanche hits. I was running hard. Wow. You start to be engulfed right there. Here goes. And I was, as I was, you know, constantly on the edge of it, running out of it. It was loud from where I was. It was very loud, actually. I could see all the snow falling down the hill. So I was like, oh no, <laughs> I hope my parents aren't too far ahead of me. Wow. It seemed dangerous. I'm down here, right beyond these trees. That's crazy. Were you scared at this point? No. no. I completely like, knew I was safe. And my wife would have probably been just about here. And then I said, did you see that avalanche? And she goes, yeah, wasn't that crazy? <laughs> I'm like, it was like a barrel of snow coming at me. We posted the incident on avalanche.ca. Just make people more aware of, you know, you've got to be careful out there. And a lot of it is experience, sort of knowing where you are and what's going on with the weather. And maybe you just have to turn around and go home or do something else. It didn't look like a really large avalanche, but it could have definitely been hurt, could have been buried. All this took place in about 90 seconds and I'm back into like visibility. Wow! <laughs> and it was crazy to experience that. So, avalanche. Next time, I mean, it's obvious that runners have to be, uh, trail runners have to be cautious of uh, the dangers of you know, mountain environments. Yul Tucker, Global News. Wild! Yes, it was. Yeah, you got that right. Okay, Walmart might be on the naughty list this Christmas. If it's not immediately obvious, We'll show you why the company had to pull this Santa sweater from its website later. <laughs> All right, let's head back to the Vancouver Christmas Market meteorologist, Christy Gordon, getting into the spirit of the season. Christy? I sure am. I picked out some presents for each one of you that I'll show you in just a second. First, though, we had so many emails from people seeing Falls Street Coles around the Lower Mainland in Cloverdale, Langley, Abbotsford. Incredible shots. Thank you to everyone who sent me emails. Don't forget, you can actually go online and check out our stories, show you how those are created, show you more photos. All you have to do is put in the search engine Falls Street Coal. We are going to see clear skies overnight, so that means it is going to get chilly. Tomorrow morning, we'll be dry in the lower mainland but by the afternoon we are expecting showers should be light however another band is going to push in for Wednesday afternoon and that one will be much heavier so mornings dry afternoons look wet over the next couple of days so make sure you don't send the kids to school without a rain jacket because they'll certainly need it now northern regions periods of rain but most of the south will be dry it's just a chance of flurries later on in the afternoon for the central interior regions south coast rain developing throughout the afternoon hours and as I mentioned so dry in the morning wet in the afternoon for the next two days all right so Sophie here is your beautiful present you can actually make these with various colors and different sizes isn't that nice I think you'll like that you might want to hang it on your tree and then Squire I've got this for you this one's for you Squire 
Oh, yeah. That doesn't fit perfect. me. It's a little small. And then, Chris, this is for you. A toothbrush. Oh, what, what are you saying? It's not a hint. It's a sustainable product. And I thought you'd really like it. And it also comes with its own sustainable toothpaste for you. Oh, that's I good. I promise it's not a hint. What about floss? Yeah. My dentist will be happy that you thought of me in that way. Thank you very much, Christy. Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> Great uh, gift selection. Those are good gifts. <laughs> Let's talk about the opposite of that. Walmart is apologizing tonight for a controversial Christmas item that it has pulled from its website. It wasn't the strange-looking eyes or teeth of this Santa that caused the problem. It was the caption, let it snow, and, well, what appears to be lines of cocaine in front of him. Walmart blames a third-party seller for the product and has apologized. Those third-party retailers. Why his eyes are so... You can see it in, in his like, eyes that, uh, yeah. 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 He's gotten to the wrong snow. Yeah. Um, uh, we also wanted to mention... Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, this would be a good time to get away. For sure. Yeah. It's overcast, uh, overcast across mu much of B.C., but all sunshine down in Maui. And that's where Chief Meteorologist Mark Rodriguez is this week. That's right. He's with 20 people from B.C. who want a trip to Hawaii through Global B.C. and WestJet Vacations. Mark is going to be joining Global News Morning Live from the Royal Lahaina Resort every day this week. He'll also be giving us a behind-the-scenes look at the flight down and be diving into some of the music and culture that makes Hawaii so special, as he obviously is riveted by ukulele lessons there. He's not there. quite at the level of the Langley Ukes, but... <laughs> Not quite there. Keep practicing. He's <laughs> had to go to a children's ukulele yeah. class while he's down there. Okay. It's true. All right. All right. Okay. Cute. Okay, Squires here with sports. Uh, the art of the comeback is... So-called a comeback. I was Don't. just thinking that. <laughs> Sorry. I, but it is a comeback. All LL Cool J on you. Uh, yes, there are many comebacks. And there was a time in the NHL that when you led after two periods, even if that lead was one goal... It was pretty much a guaranteed win. Not anymore. Last year, we really saw things change with only uh, or over, I should say, 40% of the game seeing comeback wins. At the quarter point of this season, the NHL stats did the number crunching, and 44% of all wins were comebacks. And at that same point, a quarter into this season, third period comebacks were higher than any season before. So while Canuck fans are worried about the times Vancouver has blown third-period leads, which they have, they did it on Saturday against Buffalo, but they, then they still won in overtime, it's not something that's as uncommon as it once was. You don't want it happening to you, but it's happening to everyone, it seems. So it's happening more and more, and I think part of that is because of the speed of the game uh, and the tenacity that players play. And when... One team is losing, you can bet that they're coming and they're raising their compete level and they're gonna, their urgency level is a lot higher. And if you can't match that, uh, you're going to get on your heels. We've had a lot of those games, like the 8-6 game, 6-5 against Colorado, Washington at home. I know we lost that one as well, but um, scoring goals this year hasn't been the biggest issue like it has been for us in the past. And now it's trying to understand how we can play defense when we do score all those goals where we can set ourselves up for a good chance to win. Yeah, I think we just got to keep playing when we have the lead. I think we, we've been been letting off the gas a little bit and, and sort of laying back and letting the other team come at us a little bit. And, and I mean, we've talked about it all year, and it's it's getting better, but, I mean, it's uh, it's something that we still need to improve on. 
<laughs> what did you just say? He looks terrified to be interviewed? Well, he's missing his teeth, and, you know, I'm sure he, he thinks he could look better. He's not terrified of blocking shots. Oh, no, that that's guy. true. Uh, tomorrow night, the Leafs are in town for their annual visit, which is always a big deal. And it's special for another reason, too, because the 50-50 jackpot will have at least $1 million in it, meaning... Since it's 50-50, whoever wins will be guaranteed $500,000. Tickets can be purchased at the game or online. And, of course, the other half of the jackpot goes to various charities, including Children's Hospital. If the rumors are true, the Vancouver Whitecaps are close to signing Canadian international forward Lucas Cavallini to a contract. He's been a big-time goal scorer in the Mexican League, and the rumors about him coming to Vancouver are from sources within the Mexican League. He's only 26, so they'd be getting a guy who can score in his prime years. He's also scored 11 goals for Canada in only 17 international games. Last week, the sport of lacrosse in this province, and really the sport of lacrosse in general, lost one of its best in Soen Gill, a man who was around the game since childhood. Hurry, 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 watch the bench! Watch the bench! How about the late hit? My God! When it comes to lacrosse in British Columbia and our country, it's impossible not to think about Soen Gill. His contribution to the sport, immeasurable. Gill literally did it all over his 60-year involvement with the game. Great goal, Dave! Great goal! There's so much respect for him for the work that, and hours that he put in. And, you know, he, he, was, uh, he was like a mentor to me. So, and I'm not the only one. There were hundreds of people out there that that just drew upon his knowledge of the game, his knowledge of the operating policies and rules and regulations, and he was the type of guy that just would never say no. As a child, Soen's parents were unsure of their son playing Canada's other national sport, so they didn't buy him running shoes. If you look closely, you'll see him playing in his street shoes. And he just kept on playing, coaching, and then administrating the game he loved right up until his passing. He was a, a real pioneer for not just for, for lacrosse, but, but the Indo-Canadian community. Um, as far as we can tell, the first Indo-Canadian lacrosse player, uh, we've got photos of him as a, like a six, maybe an eight-year-old uh, playing the game. Um, and it, he, it was a lifelong passion for him. Still, we've got to be disciplined. We've got to be aggressive, but not stupid. Gill is a lacrosse icon. He touched every part of the game. Same can be said for those he spent time with. It's why he's enshrined in the BC Sports Hall of Fame and Canadian Lacrosse Hall of Fame. What kind of mark do you think he left on, on our sports community? Massive, like massive mark. Um, lacrosse community, you, immeasurable. Um, you know, he was BCLA commissioner. Um, he, he was a coach. He was an, an administrator as well, volunteer. Um, he played. Um, he he kind of did it all and, and, uh, and was recognized outside um, of the lacrosse community. I think he won the Sport BC Daryl Thompson Award. So that's usually for someone that's like made wide co uh, contributions. What, what a great individual. I think he was a stand-up guy. He was always there for you. Okay, this catch and run early last night against the Rams will be the last play Rashad Penny will have this season. He injured his knee while being tackled. He is out the year, and that will hurt the Seahawks' running game. He gave Seattle a good one-two punch with Chris Carson. At this moment, it could change, but at this moment, World Series MVP Steven Strasburg is the highest-paid pitcher ever after the Washington Nationals re-signed him to a seven-year deal worth $245 million. The Nats were still giddy on champagne after winning the championship with Strasburg. <laughs> yes, of course we'll give you this. Uh, he won five playoff games this year, which is exactly what you want to do just before you walk in the boss's office to talk contract. I won wow. five playoff games. you got a World Series. 
Give me some big bank. Hard to argue. There you go. I'm going to use that next time I go <laughs> for a raise. All right, let's check in with Andrew for a look ahead to Global News at 11. And thanks, Sophie. We'll have the latest on the looming SkyTrain strike. Stay tuned to Global News and BC1 for updates on what you need to know for tomorrow's morning commute. Plus new details into yesterday's violence in Yaletown. Vancouver police issuing a warning about gangsters after they see a fight broke out at a Yaletown restaurant and spilled out onto the street. Four men were stabbed and sent to hospital. More on their conditions and if any charges have been laid. That's all coming up tonight at 11 o'clock. Sophie, Chris. All right, thanks for that, Anne. Here's your snow report for this evening. No new snow across the South Coast Mountains. Sasquatch has delayed their opening back to December 21st now. Manning Park is still waiting to find a date. Revelstoke, no new snow, but Fernie picked up one centimeter in Kicking Horse 3. Big White, Silver Star, Sun Peaks, and Apex, also no new snow in the last 24 hours. At least Apex is open now. Mount Washington still waiting to find a date. Whitewater picked up a great 12 centimeters. Red Mountain opening on December 12th, and Powder King 3 centimeters. Well, the man who inspired one of the most successful fundraising campaigns the world has ever seen has passed away. Pete Freitz and his family took a little idea called the Ice Bucket Challenge and turned it into an international phenomenon that raised more than $200 million. Pete Freitz was an athlete. Home run for Peter Freitz! Then at 27, devastating news. I was recently diagnosed with ALS. His parents say he never complained. He wanted to raise awareness while having some fun. And so, the ice bucket challenge. This thing catches fire. Yeah, the local TV to the national TV. And then it goes to the entertainment world, and then it went international. Pete's dream was to reach Bill Gates. He did it. And um, he's a kid that is very determined and very goal-oriented. $220 million raised for ALS, trials underway for more than 100 potential therapies, none of it soon enough for Pete. With his daughter Lucy and wife Julie, two years ago he could only use his eyes to communicate. The thing I always tell people is to Google three little letters, ALS. Learn how much it can devastate the mind, body and soul. He was a noble fighter, his family said today, who inspired us all. Kate Snow, NBC News. He sure did. Yeah, raise your hand if you've done the ice bucket challenge. We've had. Pretty sure I. Have. I mean, we're all on record yeah. as doing it for sure. We did it with a. It was a front front end loader. That's right at the P and E. That's right. Oh, let's right. Uh, let's check in with Christy right now. Is at the uh, Christmas market with some gifts for all of us and some glue vine. It looks like Christy. That's right, capping the evening off with glue vine, and this is their 10th anniversary cup, a really nice one. You get this with your glue vine, and you can walk around, nice warm drink. All right, guys, back to you. It's a nice night out here. I believe it's been 10 years. Thank you, Christy. Have a great night, everybody. Thanks for watching.